Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Good morning. Moment of honesty. How many of you still have Christmas lights hanging up on your house? (laughs) Me too. But they're not turned on, they're just hanging there. But it turns out you're not doing wrong. Because today is a holiday. Do you know what holiday it is? It's what? It's Epiphany. Yeah, the day that we commemorate the wise men coming to visit Jesus. And so that makes it the 12th day of Christmas. First day of Christmas is the 25th. This is the 12th day of Christmas. So if you still have your Christmas lights on, you're not doing wrong. And tell your spouse you can wait till next weekend when Christmas is truly, truly over. Uh, but the fact is Christmas fades really quick, doesn't it? Build up, build up, build up, build up, and then it's just gone. And before it's gone, and we slip into the the melee of the new year, we want to remember back in December what a great month December was. And thank you for your participation in that. You know, we challenged you to invite people outside the church to come to events like Carols by Candlelight and the Women's Christmas Dessert and Christmas Eve services, and you did it. And on Christmas Eve, we... uh, we had about 4,500 different people come through our doors on those five services on the 24th. And then the very next day, Christmas Day, uh, a lot of you came out and volunteered at the Christmas Day dinner, and we were able to serve dinner to 200 people here at the church on the 25th. So, yeah. And, you know, that's, those aren't just numbers. It's not just, yay, 4,500 people, but that's 4,500 individuals who met God at Christmas, which is, is the purpose of Christmas after all. So, so thanks, uh, everybody. And, and now where do we go as we enter the new year? You know, what's the next thing? And it turns out that newness is part of the package of things that God has for us uh, in his promises. And so last weekend, in, Mark kicked off this little series called New, and he talked about the hope of a Christian, that Christians should not set their hope on things right here in front of us, short-term hope. That's just wishing. Anybody can make a wish. When we have Christian hope, we're setting our sights on the things that are just out beyond the horizon, just beyond what you can see, and yet it's something that you are certain is there. That's biblical hope. That takes faith. And so this morning we want to sort of extend that talking about newness and why new is so special. And you know, I was thinking when it comes to shopping, Christmas presents and everything like that, we love new things. You wouldn't be super impressed to open up a gift from somebody else and it was clearly not new. It was their old used stuff. You want something new. How great does it feel when you go in for repair for your device to the Apple store and instead of them fixing your phone, they give you a new one. Yay! That's what I wanted after all. Or how many of you have ever been shopping in the stores and on the shelves there's, there's 10 boxes of the same product, but the front box is a little bit dented and damaged? So what do you do? You set that one aside and you take the one that looks like it is new. There's probably no difference in the product in that box versus that box, but you want the feeling that it is new. Because New is better than old. New is better than used. New is even better than refurbished, unless you're trying to save a bunch of money on it. And, and if you're trying to buy a car and you go online and that listing says new car, you know there's a difference between new and like new, because like new is not new. New is new. Well, God's plan for you includes newness. 
We like newness. And that's in the plan that God has for us. And it's expressed prophetically in the Bible in a few different ways. But uh, Mark referred last weekend to Revelation 21, where the one seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. This morning what we want to do is open up the Old Testament. And we want to visit a passage in Ezekiel chapter 37, which some of you are familiar with, called the Valley of Dry Bones, where Ezekiel is taken out into the valley and he sees this vision of the dry bones. Spoiler alert, God brings them back to life. But we're going to dig into this passage because what's important about this passage is not just the end point, that the dry bones are brought back to life, but how God does it, the process of him working through that. Because you're going to see that this passage is about the difference between living and being alive. A lot of people in the world are alive. Okay, all the people in the world are alive. (laughs) But not everybody in the world is really living. A lot of people are surviving in the bodies that they have, but they're not thriving. A lot of people have hearts beating in their chest, but we're not living the kind of life that Jesus described in John chapter 10. He said, I've come, not that you just be alive, but I've come to give you life and life to the full. And that's what's described in this passage of Ezekiel chapter 37. So we're going to play some images on the screen behind. And as I read this, I want you to imagine what the prophet saw and what he experienced and what he walked through as God gives him this vision of something that he's going to do. And I'm going to take out what's new for me, which are these glasses that help me read. And that way I don't miss a word. Ezekiel chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and some tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath from the four winds, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and breath entered them. And they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. 
I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. And then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. So in understanding an ancient piece of scripture, before we jump to answering the question, what's in here for me, we have to try to understand and hear this as it was heard by the original ancients, the, the, the people of Israel. Why was this a source of hope and encouragement? Why would this be a message that God was trying to prophetically communicate to them? Obviously, the end of the prophecy is important. Verse 14, I will take you back and I will put you in the land that you promised, because then as now, land and possession of land was a big deal. It was a matter of survival. If you didn't have land of your own, you had no place to be. You just wandered and you didn't belong anywhere. But we don't just want to focus on the, the outcome of the process and ignore the process itself that God is working through, because that's where the miraculous happens. In fact, in our lives, if we focus on material blessings, the destination that we want God to deliver us to, without regard for the spiritual significance of him delivering on that promise, we actually cheapen God. We, we, we develop this entitled sense in us where we say, well, of course, of course God blessed me in that way. If we stick to the end of this prophecy at verse 14 and we say, God gave them their land back, this is so what? So what? No, the extraordinary thing that happens in this passage is that God takes them from death and decay and he fills them again full of light. So if we go back to verse 1, when we read, the hand of the Lord was on Ezekiel and he was brought out by the Spirit of the Lord. This is coded language in a prophecy that tells us he's receiving a vision. He didn't physically get taken to a place where there were physical, actual dry bones, but God revealed this for him. He pulled back the curtain to say, this is what I'm going to do. And Ezekiel sees that the valley is full of bones. This is a problem for him because Ezekiel is a prophet and prophets should not be around dead things. It defiles them, but he's around a lot of dead things. The next verse says there were a great many bones and they were not just dead, they were very dead. And so we get the picture from verse 9 that they didn't just die, they were slain. So it's a picture of an army who's lost the battle and everyone is killed. And now the bodies have laid there for some time and the, the birds of prey have done their job and they picked off the flesh and it's just the bones left and they've baked in the sun for a long time until they're bleached and they're not just dead, they're very dead, they're not just dry, they're very dry. All hope is gone from these bodies. And then we come to the key question in verse 3. Son of man, can these bones live? When God asks you and me a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He knows everything. When Jesus asked questions in the gospel, it wasn't because he was wondering. The questions confront us and make us slow down and shift our perspective to him. And that's what God is doing here. I mean, if God asks you that question, can these bones live? Well, the answer is no. One, because these are plastic. <laughs> but two, because dry bones don't live. 
Dry bones are dead. Dry bones are the result of a life that was, and now it's gone. It's disappeared, never to return. So what kind of question is God asking Ezekiel? He's asking a question where he's prompting Ezekiel. Ezekiel, stop and pay attention. And Ezekiel answers in the right way. Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Which if I can put in 2019 language, he's basically saying to God, God, you tell me. And then God creates new things out of dead things. And this is our God. This is our God. That when circumstances seem desperate, when situation seems dire, when all seems lost, God can still breathe life into it. You know, before the beginning of time, God purposed to make the creation. And how did he do that? Kids will sometimes ask that question. How did God actually make the world, the universe, out of nothing? And the simple but unsatisfying answer that you have to give them is he just spoke it into existence. It wasn't there, and he commanded it. He said, let there be, and it was. Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord, the the heavens were spoken into existence. They were created. But creation, that's one thing. And recreation, that's another thing. That's what God does here in Ezekiel chapter 37. He takes something that was once alive, once that had potential and promise, but that's been extinguished and it's gone, and he does something brand new with it. See, in the case of the nation of Israel, the people chosen by God, God's special calling and possession, and their destiny, their purpose was to be a light to all the nations out there. God said, I'm going to show my glory through you. They will know by looking at your lives, your way of being, who I am. And this was Yahweh's special people. And instead, it was going downhill fast. They were the descendants of Abraham. Abraham's family multiplied. They grew into a great nation, and God was going to redeem all humanity through them. But it wasn't looking very good at this part. And if you uh, are the parent of a fourth, fifth, or sixth grader, I want to give you a heads up that I'm teaching my class, What's the Story, starting in a couple of weeks. Come take my class. And uh, we've been teaching this since 2010, and it's a six-week class that takes you through the whole broad scope of Scripture. So we move really fast. But on night one, what you learn is this, that the Bible tells the story of how God created the world and how the first people he created disobeyed him and how God overcame our disobedience by the choosing of one man and his family to become one people group who would worship only him. And that from this group of people, a boy would be born who would rise to be king when he defeated death, and he now invites everybody to follow him. And that's the story that the Bible tells. Well, if you don't get the story of Israel, you don't get this business of God choosing one man and his family to become one people group who would worship only him, you don't understand the Bible. You can't make sense of the New Testament and the purpose of Jesus and the spread of the church and the, the God's plan of redemption without understanding the story of Israel. And in the case of Israel, 1,400 or so years after Abraham was chosen by God, things didn't look good. 900 years after the Exodus and them being saved out of Egypt, about 400 years after King David under a united kingdom and everything looked good, now things were just falling apart. And to an outside observer, they might say, Israel's dead. It's over. The national experiment had failed. 
First, a civil war. It split them into the northern tribes and the southern tribes. And then because of their idolatry and their disobedience, God allowed them to be conquered by their enemies, Assyria in the north, Babylon in the south. And now bit by bit, the Jews are being parceled out, exiled into other countries. And what's going to happen from there is they're going to intermarry. They're going to lose memory of what happened when they were God's great nation. And it's over. They've blown it. The customs, the language, the shared national story, all gone. Except that we believe in the God of the impossible. Can these bones live? You may have asked that in your own life. You may have reached a point where you feel so washed up sometimes, so used up, so worthless to God, so at the end of your rope. And you ask yourself, what's even the point? Can these bones live? And God answers you with a resounding yes, because he's the God of the impossible. Verse 4, he says to Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. That's as absurd as me telling you to go outside and talk to the brick wall. Go have a conversation with the brick wall outside. How many of you are going to do that? Probably not. Because dry bones don't listen. There's no life in them. It'd be like prophesying to this speaker here, or prophesying to the table, or prophesying to the mic stand. What's the point? But Ezekiel carries the prophecy. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. And I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord, because I and only I did this for you. So Ezekiel obeys. Verse 7, I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. And I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. And this is significant because you know that life and being alive has more to do with just having a material body. You can be living, but not be fully alive. And so fixing what's wrong in your life is more than a matter of just building up a good-looking outside uh, appearance on the outside. You've got to be full of the stuff of life on the inside. So it's like if we took the time and, and I assembled all these bones together bit by bit, and I somehow got tendons. I don't know where they sell those. These came from Amazon. And, covered them with some kind of skin, and we had all the time to do that. And then when I was all done, we would have a human being on the stage standing next to me, right there. And he said, no, you wouldn't. Because just having a body does not mean you have a human being. Not a human being. Monster. No, for a body to be alive, it's got to have breath. Got to have blood. Got to have brain activity. Got to have organs inside and systems that are functioning. And bodies are not alive without those things. And in the same way, you and I are not fully alive without the breath of God. Think about what God did when he created 
Adam in Genesis. He formed him from the dust of the earth, but then he breathed life into him. And you and I need that. The Spirit of God gives life. No spirit, no life. You may be physically living. You are all physically living. I could see that this morning. But are you spiritually alive? Are you fully alive? Romans chapter 8 says this about the Spirit of God. It says, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, and that can happen, that the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, and he was really dead, if it's living in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body because of his Spirit who lives in you. So diet crazes come and go. You might be on right, one right now, and in another year you'll switch to something else. 500 years ago, explorers sailed around the world looking for the fountain of youth. But Christians, we have Christ and the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit that raised him from the dead is also alive and at work in you. And one day it will raise your mortal body as well. But there's a second consideration. If I were somehow able to assemble these bones together and create life, recreate life, what kind of life would that be? What kind of life would be contained inside that body? When God reconstituted the army, the soldiers in Ezekiel chapter 37, and they, the army stood to their feet, what kind of life was that inside? It was a great hope for Israel. Yeah, you're going to go back to your land, but, but what was their intended future? Because we see that in Scripture, God doesn't just resurrect and recreate things as a cosmic do-over and then say, good luck. He recreates and resurrects things with a purpose. So these Israelites had a purpose. You will once again be my people. You will walk in my light. And for you and I, when God restores us, he's restoring us to something better. This is what in classic Christianity we, we differentiate between what's called justification and sanctification. So that the moment you come to the cross is not the end of God's work in your life, it's the beginning Justification is God's declaration on you. You are not guilty for the sins that you've committed. I've taken that guilt away and I've put it on my son on the cross. And now in my eyes, you are not guilty. And that's justification. And that comes to you the moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You're free. But then you, offer, you enter this process of being refined, of growing, of conforming to the image of his son, which is called sanctification. And sanctification is not instantaneous. It takes a long time. And it's something that we grow through and we work through. It's a process. And the question in 2019 is, are you open to the process? Are you willing to step forward and, and say, God, you've forgiven my sins and I am justified in your sight, but I recognize there's still a work going on inside of me. There's things to be done and healed and renewed inside of me. Come on, God, I give you permission. Do what you need to do inside of me. Because that growth and that conformity to the image of Christ is a really good thing. Now, I'll use my kids as an example. You knew I'd work them into the message here somehow this morning. 
My kids uh, just turned eight months old. So I'm going to show you a picture from when they were three months old. When you take their three months picture, you lay them on their backs. But when you take the eight-month picture, you can't really lay them on their backs because they won't stay there for more than a second. So for the eight-month picture, they had to be sitting up so that they couldn't escape us and get away because they loved to wiggle and get around, which was not even in their experience when they were three months old. So my daughter now is, uh, is eight months old, and she has begun to crawl, army crawl in a way. We'll show you this little video of what she can do. How'd you like to wake up and have that face smile at you every morning? (laughs) So she's getting it down. She's motoring around, and it's time for baby gates in our house. But when it comes to my son, this is all that my son can do. (laughs) He wants to crawl. He knows he needs to crawl. He should crawl, but he just can't crawl, and he tries. But this is actually good, because sometimes agony and pain and defeat and hitting that wall is the barrier that you and I need to hit so that we grow to get past it. Sometimes we need to reach a point in our lives where we realize the old ways aren't working anymore. They're dead. They're dry bones. And what needs to take their place is something new. And that process is called growth. Because we're aware life could be so much better if only. So maybe for you, you hit a plateau in your Christian walk. After a honeymoon phase with Jesus, everything was great. And you hit a point where you realize, oh my gosh, I'm still me. And I've got some old habits, old ways of doing things that aren't working that well. It needs to be renewed, made new again by God. And that comes by learning new ways, better ways. So for me, I'm not instinctively a good parent. Most of us aren't. I have no problem loving my kids. I love them to death. But I'm not instinctively a good parent because if I'm honest, my love for my kids has an element of neediness in it. And it's this. I want my kids to grow up to adore their dad. (laughs) Can you see why that could become a problem when they get to an age where dad needs to say no to the things that they really want me to say yes to? Yeah. And so I need to learn new ways of loving them that are not self-serving, but that are completely 100% self-giving. And to learn that, I need information And I need perspective. And I need models of other parents who I can look at and and see, this is how they did it. And I need support when I blow it. And I need supernatural presence in my life and supernatural levels of energy so that I can become a different kind of parent. Now, for you, it might be something different than that. Here are some new things that, that you may find yourself needing to learn because the old way isn't working anymore. Maybe you in 2019 need to learn a new way of relating to your spouse because the old way is broken down and it's not working anymore. 
Maybe you need to learn new ways of dealing with the difficult people in your life because the old ways of just ignoring them or avoiding them or telling them off aren't working so well and you need a new way. Maybe you need a new way to grow past your upbringing and really grow into adulthood. Maybe you need to learn new ways of how to forgive or how to grieve or how to find rest. Maybe you need to learn new ways to relate to God or to understand the Bible. Maybe you need to find a new way to manage money and financial resources because the old way just isn't working. Maybe you need to new, uh, find new ways to make a friend or be a friend to somebody or support a friend who's going through really hard times because the old things that you've tried, they're dead. They don't work anymore. Maybe you need to learn how to set boundaries for yourself so that you can stay in relationship with people close to you who you love, but right now they're driving you crazy and the boundaries that you have are old and they're not working and you need to find a new way. Maybe you need to find a new way to deal with stress. Maybe you need to find a new way to relate to alcohol in your life. Whatever it is, a lot of the ministry that goes on in this church is about helping you find new ways. Because you've discovered an old way and you've hit a wall. It's not working for you anymore. And so you can either get frustrated and be defeated and say, ah, that's just how I am. Or you can grow past it to a new thing. Men's skills, women's skills, marriage skills. Those classes are all about helping you discover new ways to be in relationship with other people. Parents are learning new ways to parent and to relate to their kids at the classes that we offer at the harbor on Wednesday nights or um, the mom connection every Saturday, first Saturday of the month uh, here at the campus. People are learning new ways to relate to debt and stewardship and generosity and money through Financial Peace University. People are learning new ways to process through their feelings of grief and loss at Grief Share or new ways to cope with recovery from drugs or alcohol at Celebrate Recovery. We have groups that can help you make some, some God-centered friendships and our, our, our mentoring, one-on-one -on -one mentoring program that teaches you new ways of understanding and relating to God is just taking off and, and there's room for you to join in that as well. But we want to help you find those new ways. Once you've identified the thing in you that's old and dead and broken and get rid of that and help God birth something new inside of you. Because you may look good on the outside. You may feel good on the outside. But on the inside, you're aware you've got some ways that need to be made new. What is that for you in 2019? In all of this, we're going to remember two things about the process of change. Number one, change is not just insight. Insight and learning about my problems, hearing a lecture or reading a book, that's not enough. The process of change is what I do with that information, actually entering in and making that change. And so for a Christian, we, we believe that education alone is not enough to recreate you. Willpower alone is not enough to recreate you. Character education in your kid's school is not enough to recreate a kid. You need supernatural perspective and supernatural ability to achieve the thing that God wants you to achieve. And the second thing about process of change is that the process of change is a process. So you have to be patient. It'd be great to be able to dictate your sanctification to God and put it on a calendar and say, God, now by the end of April, I want you to have done these three things in my life. 
God sometimes strikes us with the supernatural bolt and we're changed instantly. I, sometimes, but more often than not, it takes time. And God uses time and the people in our lives and the circumstances and we've got to walk through like my son straining to get up and get his knees under him and wobble and he's got to strain. We have to continue to put him in that position even though he cries because that's the pain that he's got to get through to develop a new way. It's going to open up a whole new door of opportunity for him. So the process of change is, is a process of developing a new way of being in our relationships. Let me give you two examples on that. Weight loss. Many of us enter 2019 and we're going to finally lose that weight this year. When we set a goal of weight loss, the ultimate goal is not that we step on the scale six months later and the number is smaller than it was at the start of the year. Did you know that? That's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is that you would develop a new way of relating to food in your life. And if you can develop new ways of dealing with food in your life, then the weight loss is going to happen as a wonderful byproduct of that. Same thing with money. A lot of us worry about money, and we watch the stock market wildly up and down every day. We say, oh my gosh, am I ever going to be able to retire? But then we open Scripture, and we learn in 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 and 7, that godliness with contentment is great gain because you brought nothing into the world and you can take nothing out of it. And now your eyes are open to the biblical principle of enough. That we don't have to strive to accumulate more than enough and we're going to struggle if we have less than enough, but we can be content with enough. And all of a sudden, you've got a peace in your life that you've never known before. So it's all about renewing those relationships to the things in our lives. And, and, and we can put them in four big categories. God might want to renew your relationship with him. He might want to renew your relationship with others in your significant circle. He might want to renew your relationship with yourself. And he might want to renew your relationship to the wider outside world that you live in. And I wonder which one of those is most in need of renewal in your life in 2019. Your relationship with God, your relationship with other people, your relationship with yourself, and your relationship with the world that you live in. Which is most in need of renewal? So today we learn that the Spirit of God gives life. A body, or a life is more than a body. You can be alive but not really living. No spirit, no life. And we learn that being Made new is a process that happens on the inside, and it takes time. And the final thing from this passage that we draw is that renewal and revival is not just a personal experience, it's a collective experience. It's about we, not just me. So in that spirit, we're going to invite the ushers to come forward and distribute the communion elements because we're going to celebrate communion this morning. And I'm going to tie the meaning of communion into this third point about Ezekiel 37, that the promise of new life is not just for me, it's for us. See, the vision given to Israel through Ezekiel was that they together would be a kingdom. Not just that God would raise up and revive one guy, Joe, and bring him back. It's the whole nation of Israel would be gathered together. They'd be a united kingdom again. And one day again, they would reflect God's glory. And ushers, you can, once you've come forward, you can begin distribution of the communion elements. Um, 
And so for us, we might have our salvation, and that's great, but God wants us to open our eyes and say, what about him? What about her? What about them over there? What about those people who live across the street or in my neighborhood here in North County? What about them? Because we need others to grow, and we need for others to grow in order for the church to have the power that the church ought to have. We're all in this together. As, as we individually learn new ways of being, and the person next to us learns new ways of being, the church comes alive. And as the church comes alive, and the church down the street comes alive, and the church up over there comes alive, the kingdom of God grows in power and influence. And as the kingdom of God grows in power and influence, the whole world is changed. So after the Last Supper, after Jesus ate with his disciples, the Bible says that he went out to a garden called Gethsemane, and there he prayed. He knew he was about to leave the earth. He prayed to God, and one of the things that he prayed for was unity. He said, I pray that they would all be one, because together we're stronger than isolated and personal all on our own. And the Passover meal itself was a celebration, telling a story of what had happened to us. Remember us? Remember how we were slaves in Egypt? And remember how we were on the run and Pharaoh wanted to kill us? And then God delivered us from this death? Remember us and what happened to us? Well, in the 21st century, in 2019, we need to start telling those stories. You've got a story of what God's done in your life. And the person next to you needs to know. And the person in your family needs to know. And they need to be encouraged so that they'll hear that story and say, wow, if, if, if God worked that way in her life, God worked that way in his life, what could he do in my life? A few months ago when I preached, I asked you to send me names of individuals who had been influential in your Christian walk. I said, send me the name of someone who'd been faithful, and because of their faithfulness, you are where you are in your walk today with, with God. And I got over 150 emails back of names. And some of you attached little paragraph stories saying, this is who this person was, and this is how they pushed me forward in my faith. Well, if there's 150 emails that came, that means there's likely thousands of stories just like that out there in our church. You need to start telling your story. You need to start encouraging other people. Because it might be an old familiar story to you, but, but there's other people I can guarantee who are close to you who have never heard that story of what God has done before. And see, as you do that, the church grows together. We realize we're not walking this road alone. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, rooted in the historical reality that at a real point in time, at a real place on the earth, with real people, God redeemed humanity by sending his son to the cross. And then on the third day, he, he didn't just leave him there. He rolled the stone away and he breathed his life into that dead body. And Jesus came up and walked out of the grave as the ruler of the whole world. And so that's what we celebrate. When we celebrate the presence of God with us in the world, is that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead can live in you. 
And if it lives in you, one day it will give life to your mortal body so that if you follow Christ, you will follow him in every way. One day your body's going to wear out and die, but God won't leave you dead. He's going to breathe that life back into you and you come alive with a resurrected body for eternal life. Can these bones live? Yeah, because with God, all things are possible. So we celebrate communion, which is a, a physical thing. You separate your cups. You'll see there's a, a wafer there to represent the bread, and there's a glass of juice to represent the wine. And these are physical, tangible reminders that Jesus gave to his disciples. Guys, don't forget. Don't forget. Every time you celebrate this meal and you take the bread, remember that this bread represents my body, which is going to be broken for you on the cross. And every time you take this bread, do this in remembrance of me. So remember Christ's body as you take the bread now. And then after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you take this cup, remember what my blood did for you. Let's pray and thank God now. Ask him for a spirit of newness and unity in 2019. Lord, we believe in you as the rescuer of souls, as the beacon of hope in the world, as the one who not only created the universe, that's pretty special, but you recreate things, even things that are desperate and beyond hope, not just dead, but very dead, and you can do it. And you can breathe your life into us right now. We pray for that, God. We pray that you do a new work in us, that those ways that we have of being with you, with others, with ourselves, if they've died, Lord, help us clean it out and teach us a new way to be. Renew our hearts, renew our minds, renew our souls, and make us more like Christ. And we pray that 2019 would be a year of great unity in our church, not only in our church, but among our churches here in North County, that the church would grow in influence, the kingdom of God would grow in influence, and because of its influence, the whole world would be changed. God, you can do it. And when we're tempted to despair, when we're tempted to look on the state of the world desperately, we need to ask ourselves the question that you asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? And you answer that with a big hearty yes. So let these dry bones come alive, Lord. Give us life, give us newness, give us wholeness this year in 2019. And we pray this today in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.